This is Christine Chester of Fanboy Comics and the Worlds That Never Were podcast, and I really dig the underground. D20 Radio, your gamers roll. radiocom You're listening to The Underground Radio, bringing you all of the very best Pokemon news and views this side of Twist Mountain. I'm Teal. And I'm Sam. For today's broadcast, we've got your weekly dose of Pokemon news, a musical main topic of melodious merriment, a new Hall of Fame inductee, and spotlighting a ferocious fighting Pokemon. So sit back, relax, and give your Radio Rotom what it wants. And let me just be the first to say, welcome to episode 20, guys. I know, right? We have been at this for a lot longer than I think either Sam or I initially thought this was going to go on for, but I can definitely say that we're both really happy that we're still going strong. I know, right? This is amazing. I I think when we first talked about it, we were just like, hey, wonder what we should do. Well... You know, I was thinking about doing a Pokemon podcast. Sam, why sh- we should totally do a Pokemon podcast. <laughs> you know, I don't think we ever actually planned on it being, you know, a super long-term thing. And now we're still at episode 20, and there's still a whole lot of potential here. Yeah, I mean, we've got episode ideas to keep us going for a long time. And I think, you know, doing this every week was a huge time commitment. And I don't think at the beginning you and I realized exactly how much time we were going to be sinking into this whole thing. But now that we're here and, like, we can look back and see the fact that there's, what, four months behind us already? Yeah, four almost, months. Almost five. Almost five months behind us. <laughs> and I, I think it's fan-freaking-tastic. I know, right? <laughs> So that's that's kind of the first thing that we wanted to talk about in Pokemon Chatter this week. I guess my big thing for Pokemon Chatter is Mystery Dungeon. Now, I've never played the Pokemon Mystery Dungeon games. Now that you've played it for a while, I'm hoping, how has it been? Yeah, I'm I'm really liking it, honestly. Uh, it's, it's not as good as Conquest in the scope of, like, Pokemon peripheral games. I still think Conquest takes top-tier title for that genre of Pokemon video game. But I'm, I'm playing Explorers of Darkness, specifically, in the Mystery Dungeon series, and I'm really liking it so far. It's a very interesting concept in that you're playing as Pokemon, and in this world, there are, like, no trainers. Like, there are no trainers to be found. It's all just Pokemon interacting with one another. And you and your partner have formed an exploration team, and you're learning to be... Explorers, which I guess is like one of the occupations for Pokemon in this non-trainer battling world. 
That's interesting. Yeah, it's it's kind of neat. And you yourself are actually a human who has been transformed into a Pokemon, which is eight shades of weird. And I'm not entirely sure how that's all going to work out in the end. But um, well, the, the beginning was really cool because the beginning makes you take a quiz. And based on your answers to that quiz, it will assign you the Pokemon that you will be. And I have to admit, when I first took the quiz, I ended up being a Charmander. And I was like, I don't want to be a Charmander. <laughs> <laughs> so I cheated. I went online and I found a game fact and I uh, found the Pokemon that I wanted to be and answered the questions correctly to get that Pokemon. So now I'm a Skitty. A Skitty? Yes. And are you able to name your char- your personal avatar in there or are you just Skitty? Nope. You get to name your you get to name your character and your partner. So my oh. Skitty's name is Opal. And my partner is a Pikachu whose name is Ruby. Now, just so I'm aware, now you're a Skitty, your name is Opal, and it's based on Opal Essence, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, okay. It's, it's, if, it's, anybody, <laughs> if anybody out there listening to this gets that reference, you're automatically 20% cooler, just saying. <laughs> so so yeah, I've been, I've been playing a lot of Mystery Dungeon. I actually ended up playing quite a bit of it at League this week because I'm really, really enjoying the game and I'd like to get through it. I'm kind of hoping that now in the next, I don't know, few weeks, maybe another one will pop into the store and have its case so I can play the next one. But... That's that's sort of what I've been up to. What have you been up to? I completed Conquest's main story. Oh, you finally bit the bullet and took down Dragnor, huh? Yes, I did. Awesome! I was honestly a little shocked at the turn of event that was going on with that one. I don't know. Have you finished Conquest yet? Its nope. main story? I'm still okay. grinding for that Glaceon. Then I, will, then I will not spoil any of it for you, but let me just say that that last battle was insane was it it was insane so crazy and i i honestly think that i probably could have done a little better if i had just gone back and prepared a little i could have just been like okay i'm in a little over my head i'll just just (laughs) retreat retreat restart you know i'll have a better better team for this one but no it was actually really awesome and you know the the battle in Dragnor itself was intense because I had I saw the map and I thought, well, this is going to be easy. And as it turned out, it is not a very easy map to do. So do not it's it's kind of terrifying. So <laughs> can I ask what Pokemon you took into that fight? I took a Glaceon, a Walrein, a Dragonite, a Haxorus. A Charizard, and who was my last guy? I think it was, yeah, I think it was a uh, a Gyarados. So I had a team, you know, it was. Oh, you you have you have a Weechi uh, paired up with that Haxorus, don't you? I actually paired her up with a Dragonite. The Dragonite, okay. I couldn't I couldn't remember. I knew you'd paired her up with a Dragon Pokemon, and I just could not remember. <laughs> yep, I actually have her paired up with two Dragon Pokemon. She has a Dragonite and a Haxorus. I gave her the Dragonite just because I wanted it to be a little bulkier, and because that Dragon Rush is really awesome. Awesome. But uh, it was Motoharu, actually, who had his Haxorus, because he can link up to 100%, and I think he was at 80. So that- Very nice. That outrage pretty well destroyed everything that it came into contact with. So awesome! Yeah, was it was it a satisfying end to the game? 
You know, it was. I the you know, I've, it's the story is kind of. I don't know. Well, you've played the story. You know, it's kind of like well, now time to fight. You know, this this. There's a lot of there's a lot of exposition going on in the cutscenes. So you know, it's it's a Pokemon story like that. So, but uh, it was a really satisfying end to the story. I felt really, really challenged in that final battle, which was nice, because when I went into Dragnor, I had a I had an army that was probably at 2,900 strength, and uh, Nobunaga's was at, like, 2,200. And you so still I, felt challenged. Yes, I did. Wow. Yeah, Nobunaga has some pretty intensely crazy stuff up his sleeve. Alrighty then, I will keep that in mind when I finally bite the bullet and go face him down. <laughs> Good deal. I guess the only other thing that Sam and I have done this week as far as Pokemon is concerned is we actually took a trip to Toys R Us because we wanted to go look at uh, what sort of Pokemon figures and toys they had floating around. Indeed. One of our uh, fellow League participants brought some Pokemon figures to League and we were just like, you know, why don't we have any of these? And I think you were like, I don't know. Let's go to Toys R Us. Yeah, and so we just decided that the next day, like, we, we literally went yesterday, and we went and took a look around, and the the trip has inspired two segments that will be coming up later in the show, and I will spoil them for you now. We will both be having a Halfway Through Viridian Forest and a Victory Road story all about our Toys R Us trip. <laughs> It was very dichotomous in that respect. It was indeed. So that actually wraps it up for Pokemon Chatter. We're going to head over to the news desk now where we have got some awesome news. As I just got done saying, it is news desk time. Starting off, it is a new month. Since a new month has begun, that means it's time to start up the Underground's next Double Team Challenge. This week is Round 1, which means it's Suggestions Week. For listeners unfamiliar with our Double Team segment, this special bit happens once every month and involves a lot of listener participation. This week, you as listeners are able to send an email to the undergroundmailbag at gmail.com suggesting a single Pokemon you want to see a video game team built around. The first three emails containing suggestions will be the Pokemon up for the voting process, which starts next week. So send in those suggestions soon. The Pokemon Power Bracket voting process also continues. Coming out of last week's battles as the victors were Mew, Groudon, Lugia, and Rayquaza. Duking it out this week, we have Darkrai versus Celebi and Mewtwo versus Giratina. I believe when I last checked, Celebi was squeaking out a win over Darkrai, but it was still pretty close, and right now Mewtwo is just murdering Giratina. Which is kind of unfortunate, because, I mean, other than just the, you know, Sam likes dragons idea that we're all familiar with, <laughs> you know, it's still Giratina. Giratina is a ghost dragon type, and, you know, the while the altered form might be kind of meh, the origin form, I was always a fan of. Yeah, I, I, really, was... I really like Giratina, honestly. When I when I was voting this week, so I've been voting constantly for Giratina. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. It's I kind of wish, I, I don't know, Giratina might have had a little better shot if he hadn't been paired up against Mewtwo. 
because, I mean, Mewtwo is Mewtwo. He's the real alpha Pokemon. Sorry, Arceus, but, you know... I know, I know, and it's, it's really unfortunate, because I think that a lot of the people that are voting are kids that are, you know, voting for their favorite Pokemon, and Mewtwo is one of those big Pokemon that everybody just loves. But I, I don't think people realize that what we should be doing is trying to support a Pokemon whose actual, like, downloadable prize pack we might actually get some use out of, because we just had a Mewtwo event, and if the downloadable prize pack is a Wi-Fi event, I don't want it to be another Mewtwo. <laughs> I know, and, you know, no offense to our younger listeners, but when you're when you're a younger voter on something like this, you're going to be voting for the most powerful Pokemon, because, you that's, know... That's the coolest thing ever. That is the coolest thing ever. If you have a Mewtwo, that is basically your power piece. That is your queen on the board. That is your destructive bomber flying over. And, you know, it's you're going to vote for it, you know. And I think that's swaying a little bit of the voting process there. I do like that we've got Pokemon like Groudon, Lugia, and Rayquaza in there. Just because they're, you know, lesser... They're lesser-known Pokemon when it comes to just the the uh, the products aspect of Pokemon. So I don't know. I think it's it's okay. It's just that you know Mewtwo versus Giratina. I would totally vote for Giratina over Mewtwo, but you know it's popular opinion that you're having to duel with too. Yeah, and you know, so far though, there are, like, in the other side of the bracket, we've got both Rayquaza and Mew still floating around in the bracket, and those are both Pokemon that I don't think we've seen a whole lot of in quite some time. So, I mean, Mew, Mew we had the event for in 4th Gen, but Rayquaza hasn't been around in ages. Not at all. I mean, the last time we had anything having to do with Rayquaza was in... Heart Gold and Soul Silver, and unless you knew somebody who had a copy of Heart Gold or Soul Silver as opposed to your copy and had caught one of the Pokemon in there, you couldn't get the Rayquaza by any other process. Yep. So if, if you want to vote, get to Pokemon.com and put your votes in, because not only is there going to be that downloadable prize pack, but they're, but Pokemon.com is also partnering with Hot Topic to produce a limited edition t-shirt for the winner of this power bracket. Also, there is a new Seeker skin featuring Crustle of all Pokemon, and it's now available on the PGL. Check Cerebi.net for the code and get yourself one of the, shall we say, most interesting Seeker skins available. Now, I haven't seen the Crustle Seeker skin. Do you know what it looks like yet? <laughs> yeah, it's all like it's a real close-up of Crustle's face. So, like, his eye, his little eye stalks come off the bottom of the screen, and then the rest of it is, like, his big back thing. Oh, so it like fills up the whole Seagear screen. It's it's a pretty interesting Seagear skin. I was just really surprised. I was like, Crustle, really? <laughs> is this is that where we're going with this? Apparently. Yeah, and I'm I'm not complaining. I think it's really cool that they're featuring some of these really you know weird and off forgotten Pokemon in Seagear skins. It was just that was probably the last Pokemon I would have ever expected, other than maybe Dunsparce or Garboder. Or Garbordar, yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's really awesome that they're putting some of those other Pokemon on there, because I think in the past they've only really put Pokemon on there that landed into one of three categories. It was either they were they were the starters, they were some of the more popular Pokemon, or they were some of the cuter Pokemon. Yep. yep and yep. 
you know, this, you know, I guess Kressel, I wouldn't say would fit necessarily very well into all three of them when you consider popular opinions. So it's really awesome that they're kind of breaking out of the box there with this. Yeah, this, the same thing happened with that Porygon one that we just got, because that was also one that doesn't fit into any of those three categories very well. I know. So, so good. <laughs> good job, TPCI. Woo! The Pokedex 3D Pro has a confirmed release date for American fans. While we'll be snapping up Pokemon Black and White 2 on October 7th, we will need to wait until November 8th for the release of the peripheral. And if for some reason you do not already have the original Pokedex 3D, make sure you get it before October 1st, as that's when the current version will be pulled from the Nintendo eShop. Indeed. We don't have a price point yet, but we do have that confirmed release date. So about a month after the games come out, we'll be able to start plugging through the Pokedex 3D Pro. Which is pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm actually pretty excited. Oh, yeah. Seven more Pokemon Conquest passwords are also available. That's right, I said seven. These passwords will bring around Gibble, Dino, Lilligant, Snivy, Mistrevis and Chimchar. So get your warlords lined up and ready to link. You can check out Cerebi.net for the specific passwords because, as always, they're a bunch of random letters and numbers. <laughs> There's also a Wi-Fi event that unlocks Okuni's story, and it has also begun. So if you can't get enough conquest, it is time to get a little more. I am super excited for the Gibble and the Dino because... Those are really awesome Pokemon. That's hilarious, because I'm actually really excited about getting to play through Okuni's story, because I think Okuni is one of my favorite of the unique warlords. She's so cute! She's got that awesome <laughs> parasol, and oh my god, I love her. <laughs> Pokemon fans in Australia and New Zealand can rejoice. Black and White 2 have an officially confirmed release date for those regions. The full games and the Dream Radar will be available in those regions on October 11th. So it's a few days after we'll get it here in the States, but all things considered, it is not a substantial time delay for the Australia and New Zealand regions. Indeed. Which is super awesome. You know what else is super awesome? What is that? A U.S. Caldeo event is finally taking place. What? Yeah! From August 27th through October 6th, you'll be able to pick up your Keldeo at any GameStop in America. This event is for Black and White 1 and will be Keldeo's normal form. It can be transferred to Black and White 2 to shift to the Resolute form. There is no word on if these, um, on if this event will have an international release yet. That's pretty awesome. I'm so excited, because that event is going to be going on that week right before Black and White 2 come out, so it's going to give me something to do before Black and White 2 come out, because <laughs> that week I am just going to be a wreck. I'm just going to want my game, so at least I'll have, like, Caldeo to soft reset for for a while. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, have you heard anything about any pre-release stuff that might be coming out with Black and White 2 yet? Not yet. There is still oh. there is still no confirm, confirmation on whether or not we're getting any sort of pre-order bonus for Black and White 2. But as always, we here at the Underground do suggest that you get out and get your copy of Black or White 2, or both, pre-ordered. Because you don't want to end up in a situation like most of our city did when Pokemon Conquest came out. And there were no spare copies for anyone. None whatsoever. Even the internet was running out of copies, and the internet never runs out of anything. <laughs> Especially snark. I know. <laughs> 
So yeah, there's there's no pre-order bonus confirmed yet for anywhere in the States at least, but you should still get out there and pre-order because if you do pre-order and something does get announced, hey, you still get it. <laughs> and with that, I think we will wrap up our news desk this week. We are going to head over to the main topic. Music is an intrinsic part of the Pokemon franchise, though is perhaps often underappreciated by the fanbase. Sometimes we take the themes for granted, despite how ingrained they are in us. Whenever the battle music starts to play, a trainer finds himself able to hum along. Those familiar musical themes, be they from the video games or the anime, are filling out our main topic tonight. The first thing that we're going to discuss as far as Pokemon music is concerned is official soundtracks. And these sort of break down into several areas, starting off with the video game soundtracks. Indeed. This is what, you know, this is what people think when they think about Pokemon video game music. You know, the iconic battle themes, the specialized battle themes for the different criminal organizations, you know, the themes for different cities, routes, and locations, those are all a big part of the main game experience. You know, they're all they're all basically MIDI files, but the people who compose the music for the Pokemon games do a fantastic job at it. And speaking of those people, there is one amazing man named Junichi Masuda, who composed the entire score for the original Pokemon video games, like way back in the days of the original Red and Green over in Japan. One man composed that entire score, and he has had a hand in the composition of the music for every other main series game since those first days. It's thanks to him that we have such iconic music that fills our head as we walk through the tall grass. Thank you very, very much. Indeed. I... Honestly, when you when you think about those iconic main series games, I mean, like the Pokemon Center theme is one of the big ones. Whenever I walk into a Pokemon Center, I'm just like do 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 do, and it's <laughs> it's just in your head for the rest of the day. <laughs> it is, and you know, just the themes from walking along the uh, various routes that are going through whatever region that you're playing through. Some of the big pulsing themes from the various regional cities like Goldenrod City. You can't ever get Goldenrod City out of your head after you've been wandering around in it for a few hours trying to hatch those eggs you get from the daycare center. <laughs> and it's just amazing, you know, riding your bike. You know, it's the bike music is a one that I totally didn't even think of because that bike music follows you everywhere. It follows you everywhere, yes. And the bike music is I don't know, it's brilliant. Other than the main series games, the other really big thing as far as like original soundtracks are concerned is the anime music. And one of the biggest things in the anime as far as music is concerned are those intro themes. Oh yeah, everybody recognizes the first season's anime theme. I want to be the very best, like no one ever was. <laughs> These themes are perhaps some of the most iconic songs associated with Pokemon, and for 
great reason. Indeed. And that reason is because these songs have important messages about Pokemon in them. The Kanto region's theme informed us that catching Pokemon is our real test, but training them is our cause. And anyone who has EV trained a Pokemon knows this to be true in their hearts. The Pokemon Johto theme reminds us that each time we try, we're going to get just a little bit better. Messages like these really show what Pokemon is all about. And there have been 15 Pokemon anime theme songs in the United States. And which all is... of them are pretty ridiculously awesome. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> One of the things that we're going to be doing throughout this show is uh, Sam and I have been collecting links to specific things that we're going to include with the D20 Radio Forum Network discussion. And I've actually got a youtube video queued up in my favorites that has every single anime theme in one video it's like 16 minutes long (laughs) oh it's gonna be so great i know right the other big thing in the anime is the background music and a, a lot of the background music in the anime actually mirrors video game themes Uh, These are the things like the traveling music, the music that plays any time one of the characters gets into a battle, or the music that plays in that myriad of Pokemon centers throughout the Pokemon world. Though, by being background music for a television show as opposed to a video game, the background music in the anime is typically much fuller and oftentimes fully orchestrated as opposed to being those MIDI files like Sam mentioned earlier. And this music is all based on the original video game music composed by Junichi Masuda, but an extremely talented man named Shinji Miyazaki did all of the composing for the anime arrangements. And there really are some great anime arrangements out there as far as the music is concerned. I mean, when when Ash gets into a battle, that battle music that I feel like that gets my heart pumping every time I get into a battle in the video game is like 10 times more crazy and awesome because it is fully orchestrated. And by that nature, it just, it, it has more impact on a person. Indeed. Oh, it's so great. I know. There's also a ton of peripheral games out there that Sam and I have sort of talked about in passing on tons of the different episodes and they all have original music and original soundtracks everything from pokemon stadium to coliseum to conquest to the ranger series to the mystery dungeon series to that super smash brothers pokemon stage all of these things have original scores it's interesting that you mentioned the super smash brothers pokemon stage at the very end there because i was just thinking about smash brothers today and how about Well, it was Melee. I never actually played the original Super Smash Brothers, but that 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 stage where you fight Jigglypuff for the first time is every time (laughs) kind of fills me with a little terror inside because that first time I ever fought Jigglypuff, I got murdered. And I don't know. It's just that music there and the stage theme and everything. It's just like, oh, man, I'm going to get destroyed. (laughs) But. Well, and lots of people forget about these peripheral games and the fact that their music is really different from that of the anime or any of the main series games. Like, I've, I've been playing so much Mystery Dungeon lately that that's really stood out to me. And the music in the Mystery Dungeon games is actually really good. It's just super underappreciated because all of those peripheral games tend to be really unappreciated as a whole. Mm-hmm. I mean, can, can you think back to when... Did you play Pokemon Coliseum? 
I never played Coliseum, but I did oh, play Stadium. Coliseum had some crazy awesome music. It was super dark in tone because, like, the whole tone of that game was really dark. Like, you were dealing with this idea of shadow Pokemon that had been corrupted. And so the music was really dark and deep and crazy awesome. But people don't think about it anymore because it was such an old game. And it was really, really limited in the amount of people that actually took the time to play it. But that's true. Stadium had some great music too, didn't it? It had some fantastic music. It was a whole lot happier music than yeah, yeah than, it, Coliseum. than Coliseum probably had. But you know, some of the epic battles that you were able to get into when you like played through the entire Victory Road uh, option in there when you finally got to Lance and you tried battling him, you know, and I don't know, it was just brilliant how many. Just the music back there, you know, I was I was a weirder kid when I was younger. I mean, I actually listened to a lot of the music here and in these games, and, you know, I actually memorized a lot of it. And I don't know, it's it was really, really epic music, and I don't think, you know, a lot of the other people who would have played Stadium who were my age probably appreciated it as much as I did. Well, and the other neat thing about the music in Stadium is that in Stadium you were getting into a lot of battles that were more familiar to you in terms of playing alongside like Ruby Sapphire or Golden Crystal or whatever it is that you were playing. And so by playing these games in a situation where the music was more was more closely related to the anime music than to those original MIDI files, it has a bigger impact on how you feel when you're battling. It's true. And the 64 did have a whole lot more space for just being able to process sound than those old Game Boy carts did. So, you know, it was a much, it was like a, like, sun shining in your face experience. (laughs) True story. The next thing that we're going to talk about as far as original soundtracks are concerned is uh, the music from the feature films. And the music in the feature films are always split into two different things. There's soundtracks and there's scores. The soundtracks for the feature films tend to include the songs with lyrics. For example, Brother My Brother from Mewtwo Strikes Back. The score includes the orchestrated background music, like the theme that plays when Mewtwo is conjuring up his storm in the beginning of Mewtwo Strikes Back. There's there's a stark difference between what constitutes a soundtrack and a score as far as feature films are concerned. Mm-hmm. And that's true for all feature films, be it the Pokemon movies or the new Batman The Dark Knight Rises film. <laughs> exactly. So the, the crazy awesome thing about these is that a lot of times, well, I know at least for Mewtwo Strikes Back, you can obtain both the original soundtrack and the original score for that movie. That's interesting. It's super cool. It's really, really neat. And um, like the the one thing about the soundtrack, especially from the older films, is that it tends to be like a who's who of pop culture when that film was produced. <laughs> because like uh, the if you if you're Sam in my age and you go back and you listen to the soundtrack from Mewtwo Strikes Back, you'll be like, oh god, I recognize all of these people. Oh god. <laughs> It's the 90s all over again. I can't help it. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And, you know, when I said that you were able to get both of these things, there are some ways that you can procure uh, 
actual these actual original soundtracks. You should always check iTunes for a few of the movie soundtracks can be found there. Um, official soundtracks for the video games are much much harder to come by outside of Japan, but you could always try Amazon or even eBay sometimes. You'll find a seller who has a full set of a soundtrack from the games. Indeed. And for those of you who are YouTube playlist composers, the website has a number of fan-made and official songs that have been put up, usually to a montage of images relevant to the song. Taciturn Artist is my personal favorite, who has recorded a ton of music from the games and put them up. And they're all organized into categories, really. They're such as the themes of all the champions, all the gym leaders, all the rivals, and all the Elite Four members. Yeah, so we will definitely have a link up to Taciturn Artist's specific Pokemon playlist. He does a lot of different video games, but the Pokemon playlist is the one that we are most concerned about. Indeed. There have actually been a few standalone uh, music albums that we wanted to talk about real quick, just because of their sheer novelty value. These came out way, way back in the day when Pokemon was just getting started and the boom was super huge. And the first of those is the To Be a Master album. Yes, the To Be a Master album was something that I actually never really caught on to. And I think you were able to get more into that aspect of Pokemon in the very early years than I was. Because, I don't know, I guess when I was first getting into Pokemon, I basically had a copy of Yellow that my brother had traded another game with to obtain, and I had a couple of the trading cards. And that was about the extent that my parents would allow me to get into the Pokemon craze. I actually didn't discover the To Be a Master album until, like, five or six years after its initial release. Really? Yeah, the the To Be a Master album was released on CD and cassette, for those of you who remember. Oh, jeez. On June 29th, 1999, by 4Kids Entertainment, who are the ones that take care of all of the anime. Uh, the CD actually included the full video for that first poker rap, which was playable on your Windows and Macintosh computers. <laughs> the 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 CD has 13 tracks, and they were all Pokemon-themed music that hadn't been featured anywhere else, except for the poker rap and the original Pokemon theme, which were both included on the on the album. But then the other things that they included were songs like To Be a Master, uh, Viridian City, What Kind of Pokemon Are You, which is uh, one that we include in this show every week yep. when we do our Pokemon Spotlight. And I really, really love this album. Like, even today, I like to go back and listen to this album because a lot of the music is still really iconically Pokemon. And to be completely honest, and to be honest, there is nothing better than surprising my husband with Viridian City while we're in the car because he just shakes his head every time. Like, we're really (laughs) going to go through this again. (laughs) And, you know, that's... That's the the To Be a Master one. That one is actually available on iTunes and Amazon right now. Other than the To Be a Master album, the other standalone Pokemon music album was actually a Christmas album called Pokemon Christmas Bash, released in 2001 with a bunch of Pokemon-themed Christmas songs sung by the cast of the 4Kids Entertainment English anime dub. That's pretty intense. It's a pretty terrible album. (laughs) 
I mean, I really, really, really appreciate how hard four kids tried to make this like a really cool, legit thing, but it's not. It it did it didn't work. I mean, you can you can get a hold of this album really easily right now on Amazon or on uh, on iTunes, but you might want to look at a few of the songs on YouTube before you sink the money into it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It it is not nearly as high quality as to be a master is, <laughs> <laughs> but th- those are the two standalone albums that came out for uh, Pokemon, which is a little bit disappointing. I mean, as far as music is concerned, there's only those two standalone albums, and those happened way back in '99 and 2001. So it's been over a decade now since we've had a standalone Pokemon album that sort of craze, I guess, has just sort of died out. But picking up the slack have been the fan base. And there is a really small but dedicated group of Pokemon fans that also happen to be amazing musicians. And they put out what are known as remixes. Yes, and one of the biggest remix albums that have ever come out for Pokemon has been the OC remix album, The Missing No Tracks. This album is actually where most of the music that we use in the show comes from. The amazing two-disc compilation was created by a ton of crazy talented musicians from the OC Remix community. The OC Remix community, which is as a whole absolutely massive, uh, the, the Pokemon fans tend to be a little bit less massive, which is sad, but this album is perhaps the most amazing remix album I've ever heard for Pokemon, period. And it's available for free on ocremix.org. Which is super generous of them, because this is pretty high-quality stuff. It's extremely high-quality. And what what they do is these awesome artists take what song they want, like what's a song that really resonates with them, and then they put their own spin on it. And the music that comes out is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, if you pay attention to the musical bumpers that we put between segments in the show, you can just get a real small sampling of the quality of these productions. I cannot recommend that you go obtain this album for yourself enough. We've also got some Pokemon parodies that have been out there. (laughs) And these musical parodies are revolving around Pokemon music are everywhere. I mean, we've got everything from Lady Gaga's Edge of Glory to Katy Perry's California Girls to Teo Cruz's Dynamite have been parodied with a Pokemon skin. Indeed. I mean, uh, the the Katy Perry one is just called Pokemon Girls. Uh, Teo Cruz's Dynamite is actually Magnemite, and that's probably one of my favorite Pokemon parodies that are out there. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll link to a bunch of these in the... In the show notes on the D20 radio discussion this this episode, but we felt that parodies were something that it was important to mention because parodies are a large part of Pokemon fan of the of the Pokemon fan base, and it also happens to be a very musical part of that Pokemon fan base. So for artists who aren't necessarily into remixing actual Pokemon music, taking a song that they already love and throwing a Pokemon spin on it becomes a crazy awesome thing to do. I know, right? Uh, That actually is just about all there is for music within the Pokemon series. I mean, we've talked about the soundtracks from all of the games, the soundtracks from the animes, and the music uh, from the 
from the feature films. We've talked about those standalone albums. We've talked about remixes and parodies. So now to round out this discussion, Sam and I are going to talk about our favorite Pokemon music. I will start out with one of my favorites. Weirdly enough, I think my all-time favorite Pokemon music is the Violet City theme. You know, that doesn't surprise me. It's, because... it's, it's so light and airy and wonderful and just easy to listen to. I, I love the Violet City theme. It's a very nice piece. It really is. And the, the OC remix, uh, Missing No Tracks album, has a Violet City remix on it called Divine Olivine. And I think on that album, Divine Olivine is one of my favorite tracks. It's a very, very catchy tune. It really <laughs> is. Oh, it's so true. I really I really love the Violet City theme. What's one of your favorites, Sam? One of my favorites has probably been Cynthia's theme. Oh, that makes sense. You you do love Cynthia. I do love Cynthia and I also love how her how her theme sounds. I mean, when I first played Diamond yeah, it was Diamond. I didn't pick up Pearl until much later when I just wanted to round out the collection there. But when I first played Diamond, and this was the first fourth-gen game that I had played, actually, ever since I had that massive time skip. And I think I was almost to the point, it was almost to the point where they were starting getting, to get into Platinum and Heart Gold and Soul Silver. I resisted it for a while because I was like, you know, Fire Red and Leaf Green, these are some really awesome games. But, um... Cynthia's theme was, you know, it was really haunting. It was very mysterious, and when I popped into the Elite Four for the first time and saw her there, it was like, why, you're the champion? And I, you know, I had seen her every once in a while through the game, but I never associated her with being the champion. And then when she brought out her Pokemon, including her Garchomp, her Spiritomb, you know, her Roserade, I was just floored by how incredibly tough the battle with her was. So it's really kind of, it's more of a personal like, I think, but, you know, it was just an amazing fight. It took me a while to beat her, because this was well before I even figured out what EV training was, and... You know, I really appreciated the battle with it, and just that music bump, that music rolling off in the speakers there while it was going on was just amazing. It's really interesting that you bring up Cynthia's theme, because, like, the next one on my list is super cliche, but similar in a way. I've added the, the battle music to my list, because no matter what game I'm playing, no matter which of the main series games I'm playing, the battle music always gets my heart pounding. The first time I get into a battle and I hear that familiar theme, it's like all of the time that has gone by between the last time I was playing the story and this new time that I'm playing the story, it it's just a, a whole new experience for me. And I don't get it as often as I, as I think people would assume I do, because when we're at League, I always play with the music all the way down. I'm never listening to the battle music while I'm battling other people at League. So when I'm going through this new, when I'm going through story mode and I'm going through a new story, that first time that I hear that battle music again is just crazy awesome. Well, I think another thing too that a lot of people don't realize is that when you are in the post game and you're doing all of your EV training and IV breeding, you aren't getting into nearly as po as many Pokemon battles as you would think, as you would be during the main playthrough when you're battling Pokemon out in the wild with your very first team. 
And well, and you know, even during even during EV training, I don't have the music turned up often. I'm usually listening to something else or watching something else while I'm EV training. Exactly, and I don't think a lot of people appreciate that because you know basically the whole point of that first story playthrough is you know battling a bunch of Pokemon, getting your team leveled up, and fighting the next gym leader, and it's just a constant stream of battling and playing through the story. But when you get to the post game, it's all about you know breeding your Pokemon and training your Pokemon, and then keeping them for when you are going to be battling other people. True and, story. Yeah, so I totally understand that. And I don't know, speaking of EV training, uh, I love listening to the champion themes when I'm doing EV training. <laughs> Blue's theme, Cynthia's theme, uh, the theme of Steven and Lance. I mean, all of those people... You know, it's just this really awesome, epic music to listen to when I'm EV training. And I just, I, it's a nice thing to listen to to get me in the mood for it. Because it's like, yes, I'm training my Pokemon up, and I'm going to be going to, back to League, and I'm going to be battling with some of the best trainers that we have in the area. And it's just fantastic. I think the next one on my list is one that you and I sort of both had on our list, and that's that original anime theme. Yes. The original anime opening, even to this day, is something that I know all the words to. I sing it all the time, and it's it's one song that I don't think I will ever get tired of hearing, because that song was representative of my gateway into this series. It It is the song that encompasses everything about why I started to play Pokemon and why I still continue to play Pokemon. Exactly. I actually remember the first time I actually heard that song. And it was off of a it was off of a VHS tape, if people even remember what those are. I do. Of the some of the episodes from that very first season of Pokemon. And it was the series of episodes that led up to Ash's battle against Blaine. And, you know, I would sit there and I would watch those and I would listen to the music. And I was just like, this is intense. It really it is. And the the original anime theme is really awesome. And then the um, one that they had for the Mewtwo Strikes Back movie, which had like the full song on it, which had that second verse is also super crazy. Awesome. Yes, it is. Uh, nobody ever remembers the second verse. I do. I know. <laughs> Other than that uh, master or the original anime theme, I love the master quest theme, which is the theme for, I think the third series of the Pokemon anime. That and makes sense. yeah, it's, it's really neat. Like, I, I like the theme that they started with the, the Orange Islands arc, but the Master Quest theme is really, really cool. It's it's very uh, guitar-heavy, so it's got a very rock feel to it, and that's sort of unique for... Um, it's, it's unique to that anime sort of style. Like, the original theme had that super heavy guitar overtone and everything like that, too, and that sort of feel I really like. So the Master Quest theme is definitely on my list of favorites. We both love the OC remix album. We really do. I yeah. know. I know. Divine Olivine is your favorite. Battle for the Badge, Clash of the Titans, and My Greatest Rival. <laughs> I love My Greatest Rival. Oh, Scotty hates us. Every uh, our our fellow our now our new fellow league owner Scotty hates 
my greatest rival. He hates it so much. And I think Sam and I get almost as much pleasure from the song as we do from watching him hate it. Yep, his reaction is pretty awesome. Sorry, (laughs) Scott, but... (laughs) And, you know, all three of those songs have actually made it into the most played section of my iTunes playlist because I listen to them super, super, super frequently because they're that good. I listen to that whole album an awful lot, and I love love the... I love Divine Olivine, obviously, but I also really like... um, the, the one that we use at the end of the show, which is the OC Remix version of the SSN theme. Yes. Drowning Blue is what they call it. And I really, really like that one, too. I, I have a tendency to enjoy music that's a little bit softer and a little bit more free, where if you take a look at the ones that Sam has mentioned, he seems to like those more hardcore, epic <laughs> sort of sort of songs. Not to say that I don't like any of the other music that's on those, because some of the opening intro demos that they have on those two are really good. Uh, The theme for the Pokemon Center, We'll See You Again Soon, I think is the name, was really, really good. I I like that one a lot, too. They've got a ton of really good music on here. Another one that I think is really awesome that I don't think a whole lot of people actually know too well is... Argent Veximon, the theme of the Ice Path. Oh. That one was really, really good. I've, you know, it was a very soft, very quiet one, and the tones that they used in it reminded me a lot of the Ice Cavern from The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Oh. And I was like, you know what? This is really awesome. I'm getting in doses from two of my favorite you know, franchises and two of my favorite games in here. So, you know, this is fantastic. I know, right? I, the the other one that, I guess the last one that I kind of wanted to talk about is um, the, the, the theme from the Pokemon, the movie 2000, uh, The Power of One. The theme that is played on that ocarina right in the beginning of the... Oh, that one. Yeah, yeah, that that Ocarina song, I think, is absolutely amazing. And I'm a little mad right now because I can't find what the name of that song is right at this present moment, and I didn't think to write it down before. But that is one of my absolute favorite, 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 favorite songs from anything Pokemon-related. I I love the way ocarinas sound in general because they've got sort of a haunting quality to them, and they're, there's more of a forgotten... They, they remind me of music from, like, times long forgotten, and that's kind of what this whole movie is about. So it, it fit really well with the movie, and not only did it really fit with the movie, but it also just it resonates with me in a really special way. Indeed. I don't know. I think it's really interesting that you chose a lot of the music from the movies because I haven't really actually seen a lot of the movies I know. when it comes to Pokemon. And, you know, therefore, my big focus is in the act- is in the video games, which you and I know I'm super big into. <laughs> and some of the more uh, read-write uh, media formats of Pokemon that have come out in the last, you know, five or ten years. And, you know, that's 
basically been what my big focus is in and what I can think of when I think of Pokemon music. I'm definitely going to have to change that. Yeah, we're we're going to we're going to eventually finish the series on all of the anime movies someday. Maybe, maybe someday. we'll maybe we'll start the second one here in a couple of weeks. But That would be good. Yeah, that would be pretty good. Um Were there any other songs that you wanted to mention before we took off? You know, I don't think so. There were, you know, the my big like point to end on would be that the video game music was really cool. Sunny Shore City's theme, the theme of the underground, you know, the theme from the SSN, the battles against Rayquaza, Groudon, you know, those are the big things that I can think of when I think of Pokemon music. And really, you know, I don't know if a lot of people really appreciated it when they were experiencing it, but it provides the big background for all of those battles. It sets the tone for everything. And, you know, it's worth considering when you're trying to find what you want to listen to next. Absolutely. So, you know, in that vein, Sam and I want to know what you guys think about when you think about Pokemon music. What are your favorite themes? What are your favorite anime themes? What are your favorite songs from the video games? Anything music-related, even if it's a parody that you really love. Sam and I want to hear about it. And you can send all of those comments in an email to theundergroundmailbag at gmail.com, or you can come join the discussion on the D20 Radio Network forums, which for this episode is probably going to get pretty huge when people start tossing around links. This week's Hall of Fame inductee is actually three people whom every fan of Pokemon is familiar with and isn't doesn't necessarily fit the traditional role of our Hall of Famers. We're talking about the legendary criminal trio of Jesse, James, and Meowth. Seen in very nearly every single episode of the Pokemon anime series, Pokemon movie, and even debuting in Pokemon Yellow version, Jesse and James are the street-level embodiment of the villainous Team Rocket. Probably most well-known for their infamous motto and unique method of departure, this criminal trio has been has also been well-known for their miserable track record, as is to be expected from a children's television program. The efforts of the Rocket Trio to obtain Ash's Pikachu by any means necessary, even employing multi-million dollar equipment which gets destroyed on a routine basis, has left them failing in glorious fashion since the very first episodes. The road for the Rocket Trio has been paved with many twists and turns and ups and downs, with the three getting a surprising amount of face time and character development. Jesse was shown to be a remarkably talented coordinator, while James was revealed to be the heir of an insanely wealthy family. Meowth, uniquely depicted as a Pokemon that can speak in the human language, has demonstrated a wide variety of character defects, quirks, and strengths, leading the Rocket Trio to be an almost inseparable part of the main cast, though not heroic, but at the same time not truly antagonistic to the degree of their superiors in the Rocket Criminal Organization. This paradigm, which was admittedly growing stale after so many seasons, has been shifting to a great extent with the advent of the new Best Wishes series of the Pokemon anime. Jesse and James have yet to depart with their signature blasting off again, and have been given a great boost to their physical abilities. 
Not only that, but with help from the rocket scientist Dr. Zager, the rocket trio is becoming much a much more potent force to be reckoned with. Giovanni now entrusts Jesse, James, and Meowth with greater responsibilities in the Unova region, and they've taken their much dark and they've taken their much darker and more antagonistic role to heart in a way that is both refreshing and believable. The feeling of the old trio is still there, but they are now almost more mature in their villainy, with a new sense of empowerment and will, pulling off schemes that can take a very long time to come to fruition and almost, very nearly, succeed in the process. For that, Rocket Trio, we honor you with a spot in the Hall of Fame for coming out of the darkness that was mere comic relief and occasional bouts of character revelation to become a more serious force to be reckoned with and a far more engaging and interesting set of characters to examine. Congratulations. of Halfway Through Viridian Forest Without an Antidote, Sam and I are going to be discussing part of what happened on our trip to Toys R Us. And that is to say, why do Pokemon toys suck so hardcore in America right now? I know, right? And, you know, honestly, it might have been just just that one store. I don't know how big the Pokemon market is in Fargo, North Dakota right now, but... The Pokemon toys were just kind of terrible. It was a a total bust. It was. The section was extremely small. I mean, not even like a whole section in one aisle. It was like half a section that was being encroached upon by these weird garbage pail monster things. And the only things that were there were some of these really cruddy-looking Pokemon figures that looked almost identical to the ones that we got in the Happy Meals. And and these weird, what did they call those weird things that like came out of the Pokeballs? They were like the Pokemon catchers, or yeah, I, the... I don't I don't remember exactly what they were called, but they had like weird like plastic things in them that was supposed to be meant to look like the the flash of light that happens when a Pokemon is released from its Pokeball. It was terrible. It was pretty terrible. I mean, I remember when we were growing up and we had those awesome Pokemon keychain figures that came in the keychain Pokeballs. I know. And there were tons of them to collect. Even with these new plastic figures, like, they they had these great big containers that were shaped like a Pokeball that you could store them in. But from what we saw, there were only, like, maybe ten of these figures in total. Yeah, and, well, it could hold up to ten figures. I mean, I'm sure there were many more of them, but that one case could only hold ten. It was like asking you to go out and buy another one. And each of those cases were like, what, $12 a piece? I was just like, what? Something like that. And, you know, the, the figures that were there were, were pretty poor quality and were super common Pokemon, too. I mean, there was an Axu and there was a Woobat, which both came in the Happy Meals, and there were all of the... uh Unova starters. Yeah, and one thing I also noticed about the Axu figure is that not only was it just like the one that you got in the Happy Meals, but the one in the Happy Meals, you could at least push a little lever on the back and its head would turn from side to side. Nope, that one didn't do anything. It was just a solid plastic figure. And I was yeah, just and, like And they're like weirdly big too. Yeah, they are. I mean they're they're not of a normal like figurine size. They're they're pretty bulky. And 
I don't know. I was I was really really disappointed. There weren't any plush toys. There weren't any like coloring books or anything like that. There weren't any normal figures. There were no keychains. There were no backpacks. There was it was just really well, except for that one weird 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 backpack. Oh yeah, the, the like the plush Pikachu backpack that was weird. Like he had enough storage space for maybe my DS and nothing else. Yeah, I don't know what. <laughs> I, I, what, what was that doing? I don't even know what it did. It, it, I don't think it did anything. It was just creepy. <laughs> it, it was kind of creepy. It was. <laughs> There's a hole in my Pikachu's back, and I stuffed my DS into it. Awkward. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I'm a little bit angsty about the fact that Pokemon toys in the states right now are terrible, and it really, really yanks my chain because. I recently stumbled across this photo album on Flickr of a guy from the States who got to go to a Pokemon Center location in Japan. And the amount of stuff that is available that is Pokemon related at Pokemon Centers in Japan is astonishing. I mean, there were figures from every generation, and they were, like, real figures, not just, like, crappy little plastic things. There were pencils and lunchboxes and treats and food and plushes, and it was just crazy. I mean, this guy took, like, 180 pictures or something like that. Americans don't have good toys. We don't. Well, and it's not even just that we don't have good toys in general. It's that the the quality standard for Pokemon toys has degraded substantially, and... I'm a little sad about that. I mean, like, I would really, really love to see hardcore, you know, one-eighth style figmas of Pokemon. That would be epic. It would be so crazy awesome, but we're never going to see anything like that over here because there's just no market for it. Which is sad. Ah, it just frustrates me to no end. Urgh. <laughs> That is our that is our Pokemon angst for the week, and Sam and I really felt like we needed to get that out there because it sucks. It does. There's there's really no other way to say it. If you happen to be a listener who is also in the states and is in like a different part of the country, we would love it if you would head down to your local toy store and see what the selection is like. Because if it's just the Fargo store, then maybe Sam and I can retract a little bit of our anger. But if it's this way all across the states, something's got to change, man. I know. Uh, that I guess kind of pretty much wraps up our wraps it up yeah our weird really short halfway through Viridian Forest without an antidote segment but it it was something that we really felt that we need to talk about and because we got a little angsty now we're gonna head over to something a little more happy Join us again as we take another glorious walk down Victory Road. And starting off, we have a very, very special Victory Road story from one of our listeners. Our listener Emily wrote in saying, and I quote, Like many trainers who grew up with red, blue, and gold silver, Whitney was the bane of my 12-year-old existence. Her mill tank would absolutely destroy any opponent in its way with its dastardly assortment of powerful and annoying moves. Needless to say, it occasioned many hours of frustration and maybe a few thrown Game Boys. I dreaded the normal type gym with all of my being, and even armed with fighting type moves and teammates, it often took me several t- tries to defeat her. 
When I picked up the fourth-gen remakes of Gold and Silver, I was determined to face this nightmare with the strength and fortitude that came with experience. After all, I had made it through Hoenn and Sinnoh. Why should I be scared to backtrack through Johto again? Still, my old rival Whitney was a formidable opponent, and I was not about to underestimate her. I made sure to train up sufficiently before the gym battle, and my team was around level 22 by the time I reached the leader herself. I had traded for a Machop, and I was planning on using it to blast through Clefairy and then soften up Miltank. In case the Machop fainted, I would use my Quilava to clean up. As it turned out, Machop one-hit KO'd Clefairy with a critical hit. And then it was just Machop against Miltank. It was time for revenge. Literally. Miltank used Stomp, and I used Revenge. And how sweet it was. Miltank went down in one hit, and I laughed out loud. Something I rarely ever do when playing one-player games. You have no idea how good it felt to sweep through a gym leader that that had been giving me problems since Gold and Silver first came out. While I'm sure I will experience satisfying wins down the road during in-game challenges... And when I'm finally good enough to take on the competitive metagame, I doubt I will ever be as happy as when I one-hit KO'd Whitney's Miltank in Soul Silver. As silly as it sounds, it was one of the most satisfying victories ever. Revenge indeed. I totally don't think that that is silly, because I remember that battle against Whitney in Soul Silver, and I remember how hard that was. Rollout was just as hard as Volt Switch with Elisa. Because rollout was this crazy new thing, and it got stronger every single time. So as soon as you lost your your toughest Pokemon, which was typically your lead, you were just SOL. Done. You're just, it's like, nope, game over pretty much. Let's pack it up and try again. (laughs) Game over, man, game over. And you know, I I still remember that time that I battled that Miltank in... Soul Silver, and it took me about seven tries to beat that gym leader because I was just like, that's a mill tank. I don't know anything about it, but I'm still going to super underestimate it because it's just a, it's just going to be one of those other adorable normal type Pokemon, right? Wrong. <laughs> so wrong, so wrong indeed. That mill tank is the face of all evil in Pokemon. It really is. He's just sitting there rolling from side to side, and deep when, deep within him beats the heart of pure evil. So suffice it to say, Emily, that you are not the only person that absolutely has a very long and storied history with Whitney as a gym leader. But I can safely say that I've never one hit KO'd her Miltank. So using revenge and taking her down like that is indeed a story worthy of a very special place on Victory Road. Indeed. We thank you very much for sending in that email. It was a pleasure to read, and we are very excited to share it with the rest of our listeners. And if those other listeners also happen to have a story they would like to share on our next segment of Victory Road, they can do so by sending an email to theundergroundmailbag at gmail.com. On to our Victory Road stories for this week, the first one being one that Sam and I share. Yes, and that story involves epic DS bags. Oh, they're so amazing. When Sam and I went to Toys R Us and we had our crazy depressing bust as far as Pokemon toys were concerned, we decided to go check out the DS aisle. And in the DS aisle came the most amazing DS bag I have ever seen. I know. Tell us about these amazing DS bags, Sam. Well, these DS bags are these cool little messengers bags that you can sling over your shoulder and they actually fit really really nicely even on a guy as tall as i am and sam is very tall i am very 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 tall 
And on the inside, they're very nice. They're very padded. You know, I'm totally okay with keeping my 3DS in there. You know, I don't have any worry about it getting smashed or anything. And it has these two little cool mesh zipper pockets in the back that you can put your, like, charger in or your extra peripheral stuff that you have that you might need to put in there, like a cape, like a cloth or anything like that. And, you know, it has a little spot for your styluses, so you can carry all that with you. But I think probably the most amazing thing about it is the front pocket, which has room for 60 DS carts. That is 60, 60, not 1616. That, that was probably the biggest selling point for me on these messenger bags. I have one of those awesome DS folios that holds up to 28 carts. But when I bought Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, I was officially one cart over what it would hold. Indeed. So I, I didn't have any space left. And when I found these, I was like, 60? What? <laughs> so that was super crazy. And... Like, I've, I've got all my carts in there now, and I can actually organize them in a way that makes sense. That's awesome. I know. I'm so excited. It is it is probably the best DS accessory I have purchased ever. I know. Yeah, and, you know, I think one other thing that we didn't mention, but I think was really, really awesome that we should, was that charging base. Oh, God, yeah. There was this crazy charging station in the DS aisle, and it was it was $15, and I almost bought it. I know. I totally would have bought it for Josh if he was still here because it was so perfect. I mean, he, he adores his DSi XL, and it had space to pop in either a regular DSi or a DSi XL. And it was basically this big charging station that had a gigantic Pikachu on the back. The whole thing was shaped like Pikachu sitting behind a Pokeball. Yep. And, you know, it was just... I don't know, it was mind-blowing at how awesome it was. You know, it didn't light up. That would have that was my big thing is that it it wouldn't light up if you plugged it in. But the fact that it was a giant Pikachu and it was this giant charging station that you could have just sitting on your nightstand or your desk or something was just brilliant. Yeah, it was it was crazy. I mean, it was just a big plastic shell. It didn't even come with, you know, like the charger. You still need the charge cable that comes with your DS, but even just for a giant piece of plastic, it was one of the most impressive things I have ever seen. I know. Oh, goodness gracious. And rounding out our Victory Road segment, Sam has a Victory Road story that he would like to share with everyone. Yes, and I think it's fairly safe to say after this one that no one should battle me with Dragon-type Pokemon, because... What happened here was I got into a battle with one of our fellow league uh, passers-by. His name is Mac, and Mac here had brought in a team that was basically a standard fire-type team with a couple of different variants in it. He had his Lucario in there, which was kind of odd on a fire team, but it still proved to be enough of a challenge for me. And I was fighting with a team that was pretty weak to fire. I had three Pokemon that were super effectively weak to fire, and I had a couple other Pokemon that were super effectively weak to steel and psychic-type attacks, which put me at a big disadvantage compared to his Lucario and his 
uh, Ninetales and his Reshiram that he had on his team. And he did inform me that he had a Reshiram on it before we went in there. So I was like, okay, fine, I'll bring in my Suicune, who was my only other legendary Pokemon that I have who is Eevee trained. So we got into this battle, and, you know, I had a few minor... Uh, victories there with, like, a Spiritomb. I was able to take out a couple of po- his Pokemon with that. And, you know, we traded back and forth, but his his Lucario pretty well swept some of my other Pokemon. Used Psychic on my Roserade, knocked that out in one hit. You know, my Lucario, he had high jump kicked into Oblivion. And by that time, it was me down to my Suicune, and him with his Lucario at 1 HP and his Reshiram. And I was like, well, in direct sunlight, this isn't going very well for me. So <laughs> I, so we commenced the last few rounds of this battle. He Aurisphered, I absorbed it pretty well, and I responded back with a Scald, with a, a Life Orb boosted Scald. Took it out, and then he brought in the Reshiram. And... You know, I didn't realize it at the time, but he had it choice specced. So that, oh. so those moves that he had were going to hit insanely hard. And so I was like, well, I guess we'll see how well this goes. And so he whipped out Draco Meteor, and I oh, thought, oh no! I thought, oh, this is the end. Except it missed. <gasps> and I paused, and I was like. Okay, so I scalded, you know, the life orb took a little of my HP, but I managed to knock him down to about 80% HP. And I was just like, well, that was my one lucky thing that I'm going to have this entire match. Well, he Draco Meteored again, missed. Again? Again. And I responded back with another scald, took him down to about 60, I lost a little more health, and at this time, he was really starting to sweat because I'm he I'm sure he never even thought of missing twice in a row with Draco Meteor. So he was just like, well, this it can't possibly happen. It can't possibly happen a third time. He used Draco Meteor. Missed. It happened a third time? Missed three times in a row with a 90% accurate attack. And I scalded back, brought him down to about 40%. And by this time, we're both pretty well banged up, but the thing is, he was he was choice-specced, so he couldn't use any other moves. And with my Suicune having the ability Pressure, he had run out of PP to use Draco Meteor. So oh, what he no. did was he, he uh, struggled. He hit me, and he brought me down to about 30 hit points, and he took the recoil damage and brought himself down to about 10 or 15%. I scalded, hit him, took him out, and I survived the life the life orb recoil with about maybe three or five hit points left and won the match. Wow. And I was just like, are you kidding me? The lesson to be learned here is that Dragon-type Pokemon will never, ever, ever fight Sam. Yes, the Dragon-type Pokemon are my ally, and my birthday Suicune totally pulled through for me in the end. And I was just like, oh, this is... It was it was a sweet victory. It really was. That's so it, awesome. It was a... It was a 180 from what was pretty much a lackluster performance on my part to an epic finish for the end, and... 
you know, I've just got to say, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm sorry, I KO'd the Reshram like I did because Reshram is a really good Pokemon. He really is, and he probably didn't deserve to miss three <laughs> times in a row with Draco Meteor. But you know, at the same time, yes, indeed, indeed, that was that was a good Victory Road story. I'm, Thank I'm you. Very, I'm very glad that you shared that with us. <laughs> oh goodness gracious. What kind of Pokemon are you? How do you do the things you do? Share with me your secrets deep inside. What kind of Pokemon are you? Are you loyal through and through? And do you have a heart that's true? What kind of Pokemon are you? This week's Pokemon Spotlight covers number 620, Mian Shao. Mian Shao is the fully evolved form of Mianfu and is a pure fighting type Pokemon. Mian Shao has a very long body, a small head with triangular ears and long whiskers, and its hands are almost completely obscured by long sleeve-like fur that acts as a pair of whips in battle. Mian Shao may have had its inspiration in the ermine, a form of short-tailed weasel, and its whip-like fur was likely inspired from whip-fighting, as well as several other forms of martial arts. This Pokemon's name may be a derivative of the words ermine and Shaolin. Also of note is that another variation of the word Shao in Japanese is an onomatopoeia of weasel, of a weasel, which ermines are related to. Mianxiao has been featured on three different TCG cards, all of which are currently tournament legal. With access to a wide variety of different moves and variations of playstyle, Mianxiao is an incredibly versatile Pokemon to use in competition. Despite its very well-balanced and impressive physical and special attacks, which allow it to perform either a physical, special, or mixed role, Mianxiao has correspondingly weak defenses, making it very easy to revenge kill or simply outstall through sheer defensive power. Knockoff, Low Kick, Smelling Salt, and Baton Pass give Mianxiao a number of different abilities from the point of egg moves. Learned moves include the ever-efficient Fake Out, High Jump Kick, and Aurisphere. Of special note is U-Turn. Combined with Mianxiao's Regenerator ability, the martial arts Pokemon can enter battle, do tremendous damage, and should a miss with High Jump Kick render you with half your HP gone, U-Turn is almost guaranteed to hit and return Mianxiao to the party, undoing all the harm endured. For a full look at video game strategy involving Mianxiao, check out Sam's post on the Pokedex Project at pokedexproject.wordpress.com. If you enjoyed today's broadcast, you can find back episodes of The Underground on iTunes or at our website, theundergroundpodcast.wordpress.com. Please subscribe to the show via the iTunes store or directly through the RSS feed on our website. If you like what you hear, leave us a review or a rating on iTunes, and if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, send them with the nearest deadly bird to our mailbag. Or you could just email us at theundergroundmailbag at gmail.com. We'd also love to hear your bumpers. Just record an MP3 of yourself telling us that you dig the underground and send it in. We'll play it at the top of the next episode. 
please join our discussions over on the D20 Radio Network forums at d20radio.com slash forums also. So until next time, Poke fans, remember that our secret base is always open to you if you can find it. The Underground Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license, and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Pokemon is a registered trademark of Nintendo, Game Freak, 4Kids Entertainment, and Wizards of the Coast. Music used in the show comes courtesy of the OC Remix album, The Missing No Tracks. These songs and thousands more can be found at www.ocremix.org. All original audio, textual, graphical, and video content associated with the Underground Podcast are the sole copyright intellectual property of Natil Erickson and Samuel Ranke in affiliation with the D20 Radio Network. We'll go Liz Cerner. Sorry. <laughs> I, I I saw that down there and I was like Listerner and then I thought Ermager. <laughs> that's exactly what I thought. Ermager Lifters. Ermager Lersener. Halfway through Brady and Force without an antidote. In three, two, one.